0: Welcome to chosen conversations, where a group of friends talk about the chosen series, what it means to us and how it impacts our lives and proclaims the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Today, we'll be talking about the apostle Simon Peter, and we will be tracing him through the episodes in season one, as we learn more about the background story, the chosen series has created for us and his importance according to the gospels.
1: In our first scene, we're going to discuss today. We are going to see Peter. He's a fisherman, and he is not having very good luck catching fish, and he really needs to catch a lot of fish. And he's in the boat with Andrew, James, and John, and Zebedee, and they have been fishing all night with no luck. He's very frustrated, and here comes Jesus on the shore, and Jesus encourages him to try one more time, and he kind of gives Jesus a look like, I don't think this is going to work, and Jesus gives him a look like, Try me, you know, let's see what happens. And at that moment, the entire boat just fills with fish. Their, their nets are basically pulling the boat into the water and they catch more fish than ever before. And in that moment, Peter realizes who Jesus is, his power, that he's the son of God. And he says some very interesting things to Jesus. And we're going to discuss today what that scene means to us, some of the things he talks about with Jesus and how this impacted Peter and his journey to follow Jesus. So, John Mark, would you like to walk us through um, that scene, um, what Peter says to Jesus and the backstory of why Peter might feel the way he does?
2: Uh, yeah, thank you, Haley. When Peter sees what happens, he falls to his knees and says, you know, go away from me. Um, I'm a sinful man. Yeah, I don't belong in your presence. He has a deep sense of his own history and his own a uh, story of sinfulness and uncleanness. Now, the Gospels don't tell us what that story is. The canonical Gospels, they don't tell us that backstory. So what the Chosen has done is they've created a backstory that fills in that hole. Because when Peter says, I'm a sinful man, are, are we saying, you know, Peter, you're just like everybody else. You know, you're you're not that bad. Or is Peter saying, yeah, I really am that bad. Uh, I don't belong here. Andrew maybe, but not me. And so what is it about Peter that uh, makes him feel that way? And so The Chosen creates a backstory to give us a kind of deep sense of embrace of Peter recognizing where he's coming from. And I think that's true for a lot of people that, that when we confess that we are sinners, we don't know our backstories. And part of the backstory for Peter in the, in the Chosen, is he's a gambler. He's a violent man. He, he fights for money. He's aggressive with people. He's fishing on the Shabbat. You know, he's he's a, he finds himself in conflict with his own friends and buddies and his own brother and his wife. He finds himself in a conflict with his wife. So he is not getting along with anybody, really. And his sense of burden of sin and his uh sense of how outside of out of outside of the law or outside of of his faith he is is very deep and so that's that sort of explains why in the presence of jesus he just drops to his knees and says i am unworthy i'm a sinner you don't need to be dealing with me i'm going to contaminate you you know i'm not going to be good for you and and that tells us something about his own his own self-image.
3: Yeah, you know while you were talking John Mark and and Haley your question, I was thinking about that scene you described and it is pretty interesting that Peter doesn't respond in the typical way you would think somebody would after they attempted something unsuccessfully all night. They they've got to be exhausted and they've already put up all the equipment and somebody walks up and says, "Hey, why don't you try one more time and why don't you do it right here, like near the shore where nobody ever catches anything. And, you know, most of us probably would have said something like, you're crazy or leave me alone or mind your own business or something. But the way you described that scene was so good because, you know, Peter kind of looks at him for a second in silence, almost trying to discern who is this and why would you be asking me to try again? And then he just... Kind of says, okay, all right, we'll try it. And then he gives that look of, see, I told you nothing would happen. And then Jesus gives the little one raised eyebrow kind of look back. And then all of a sudden he's got the huge catch. And I think whether the, like what John Mark is saying, whether the, whether someone wants to get upset or not about the biblical backstory not being present, the Bible's facts have to be connected somehow. And it seems like if you caught that many fish and you know, James and John and Zebedee come over in the Chosen episode to help because the boat's literally, like you said, being swamped because of the the weight of the fish. Fishermen are going to do something with that catch. They're not just going to catch and release and turn them back, turn them back into the water saying, well, that was impressive. So they probably went to market. They probably made money off of that catch. And the Chosen took that to suggest that Peter was in a dire situation that Jesus then helped him miraculously get out of uh, and that sets up the conversation when he gets home with Eden, which I think Haley you had some thoughts on.
1: Yes, Um, so the scene with Eden um, is so powerful and it really just shows um, the great relationship between a husband and wife. And as John Mark shared, Eden and Peter were having some issues in their marriage because Peter just was kind of acting out, and the scene shows Eden, she's at home, uh, squishing some grapes, um, you know, making food for their family, and he comes in and says, Eden, you won't believe what just happened, and of course, with his background and his history, she may, you know, not have believed him in the past, because he wasn't necessarily showing up, being there, being a good husband, spouse to her in certain moments, Um, but he tells her, I think I've just met the Son of God, and this is what he did, and you'll never believe this. And she reacted so beautifully. She she didn't, you know, not believe him. She didn't dismiss him. She said, this is the man that we've been praying for. And she encouraged him to follow Jesus um, and drop everything to follow Jesus. And she said, you know, this man has finally seen in you what I've seen in you all along and you are truly the man that I married, this is who I married. And so it was a beautiful redeeming moment for their marriage as well as the future of Peter and just showed a supportive wife. Um, and it kind of contradicts what we've seen in the previous episodes when Nicodemus was was given that, that path to choose to walk in life, whether do I follow Jesus or do I continue on with my normal everyday life and responsibilities. And we see Nicodemus's mm-hmm. wife reminding him of all the stresses of life, the stresses of their marriage and their family. Um, and we just see a different perspective in Eden and I believe that as a wife, God may have you know called Eden to be Peter's wife because of the calling that the purpose that God had for Peter in his journey. So it's just a very interesting perspective of marriage. And David, I'd love to hear your perspective as well on that scene.
0: Yeah, that city is it's powerful in the way it, it turns out. Where uh, she turns around when he's when he told her he told me to follow him, and she turns around and starts crying, and and Peter says, "I know, I know, I know you're gonna be upset," and she said, "Why would I be upset?" Is what we've been praying for, and he, and, and and he sees why I married you. Like she knew in her heart who Peter was, and and we've been talking about everyday life and about struggles and about situations. In going back to the catch, going back to the struggles that they had in their marriage and how this redeeming moment came to be, you know, this is so true today as it was 2,000 years ago with fishermen and, and money money debts and stuff. Uh, the number one or num- maybe one of the, the m- most common reasons for divorce and mis- marriage struggles is finances. And you know, in this case, they've been struggling for months according to the background story that we're getting on the chosen, then Jesus shows up. The catch happens. We don't know why it happened, but in the story, in the chosen story, they they decided to pick it as a way to redeem all his debts. Then Jesus calls him to follow him. He goes home, all the debts are forgotten, and then they have this encounter where they are able to reunite and and come back to a marriage where where they're able to understand what each other means to them and how they're called for a bigger purpose.
2: I want I want to take it to another scene that I thought was very impactful in terms of eden's role where jesus talks to eden 101 and says you and peter are one flesh and what peter does is going to impact you and i think that was a brilliant scene to put in there because why is peter's mother-in-law healed Why? why do the gospels even mention that uh, it's it's not just kind of one miracle out of many or something of that nature. There there's something impactful about that, and I, and I love the way the chosen created that backstory for the healing of, of Peter's mother-in-law, and it's related not to Peter. It's it, the healing's not for Peter, right? The healing is for Eden because Eden is going to sacrifice more than Peter is. I mean Peter's called to be on the trip, all right? Eden is staying at home, and she has to struggle with the day-to-day survival of what it means to live in that economy and to live with a mother where their mother's sick. So I thought the compassion of Jesus, the recognition of Jesus that that this is um, something that Eden needs, and that Eden is a participant in this ministry, even though she's staying home and Peter's going on the road. I thought that was a wonderful insight um, in terms of the healing of, of Peter's mother-in-law. It was about, wasn't about about Peter as much as it was about Eden and her role in the community. It doesn't take long,
3: and uh, things are going so well, as David mentioned, that uh, Peter kind of... I don't know. Would you say that he has a uh, self-assignment that he, you know, in, in an episode they're walking along and they're they're traveling to the to the next location that they're going to, and he kind of pulls Jesus over by himself and says, "Hey, you know, somebody needs to be in charge of the itinerary. Somebody needs to be in charge of communications. I'm I'm a person who can do those things. Why don't you let me do them?" And there's already a little bit of. um animosity between some of the other disciples at that point over why peter would be chosen and maybe peter thinking why wouldn't he be chosen and so we see a little bit of different personality of peter come out he's overcome yeah, the I'm... not worthy now i kind of am trying to self-assign what i need to do inside here is that does that resonate with anybody is
2: that they that that That's his personality coming out, right? He's this aggressive person. He's this, um, we're going to fight for this. You know, we're going to get this done. Uh, Even at the wedding when he says, okay, let's do this. You know, we've got the fish and we got the wine. Let's get this done. And then Peter's, and Jesus responds with, we'll see. (laughs) Basically, we'll see how you do with that, Peter. But yeah, I think that that strong sense of leadership, which is coming out in negative ways here, I mean, there are positive dimensions to that leadership, but there are negative dimensions to it in terms of the way he's he's asserting himself, he's assuming that he has to protect Jesus, that he's got to marshal uh, the people around to get this done. And and that, that's uh, that's a problem, and it does create the friction that we're going to see all the way through with these episodes, the friction among the disciples. And a lot of it has to do, okay, who's going to be the leader, Right. And that's going to be a struggle among the disciples.
1: You know, John Mark, I love what you just said about that, because I think The Chosen does an awesome job of just showing each character with their own personality, their own flaws. Just it's very raw. And when you think about these characters and all coming together to follow Jesus, first of all, he chose people that might not have been, you would have thought would have been chosen. He chose people that had flaws, normal people like you and I. He chose You know people that had disabilities or he chose people that you know were good leaders and bad leaders and just fishermen he chose a a various number of people to do his will we saw with mary someone who was an alcoholic someone who was demon possessed um that was basically at the end of her rope um when he chose her to follow him um it just it just shows us when you get a group of people together of faith working together um, there's going to be a lot of conflicting personalities, and they have to learn to work together. Um, but that's a beautiful thing that's visualized in the chosen.
2: And David, do you see? How do you see that uh, relationship between the disciples at this point in season one? What What are you seeing in those conversations and relationships?
0: Well, yeah, you can see that uh, there's there's some sense of friendship among James, John, and Andrew and Peter. I mean, they're, they're all fishermen, so they, they work together and they know how to handle each other and work together, but as as, as they get more disciples in the group and, and some are having to struggle with how Peter handles situations sometimes, uh, then yeah, there's some animosity there towards him because of his natural leadership that at times can be seen as negative. Uh, but anyway, what I do love about the show and about Peter and how it portrays it is that yeah, I've never really thought about Peter as a person, I mean, as a man. And now that he put a picture to the letters that he wrote and, and to the character that is described in the gospels, it just makes it easier to relate and to see that reality that Peter and I are not that much different. Hmm. Like, he was called and he had struggles, he was a sinful man as we go back to the scene at the boat, and he knew it, and so do I, and I know my only, my only way out is Jesus.
2: Yeah, we see a lot of leaders who are aggressive, who are controlling, and and I see that emerging in Peter here. You know, he, he's pushing Jesus, and he's managing things, and he's protecting, and so he has this strong, aggressive characteristic that is is controlling in some way. If and Jesus is gently not letting him control, right, but. Still, Peter has that impulse. And and I think there are a lot of leaders like that, that, that we need to see ourselves in Peter and say, oh, yeah, that aggressiveness, that's not going to work. And that's not what Jesus is really after here. Yeah, as you guys were
3: talking, I heard two interesting concepts. You know, we we talked earlier about the contrast of how he didn't react this way when Jesus asked him to throw the net on the other side of the boat. But it seems like he often does have knee-jerk reactions that are his back's up against a wall or he's got himself in a little bit of a jam and he's got some sort of scheme or some sort of high-energy way to get out of it, right? But Haley said it and John Mark said it too. You said control. I find it fascinating that from the scene where he says, depart from me, I'm, a, I'm, I'm an unclean person, I'm an unclean man, But as Jesus heals people and redeems parts of them, it seems like that's when they start thinking that instead of following the one who actually is in control of everything, they need to be in control. And they did that. I didn't see it until you guys were talking, but they, they show that. Peter goes from somebody who's very yielding and very, very agreeable to try the net on the other side to now needing to be... Somebody who's almost repaying Jesus for the love he's given him by trying to protect him and trying to be in control when really he needs to always let Jesus be in control. But to David's point, don't we all do a little bit of that
2: um, as Peter
3: ourselves. So
2: yeah, and you see you see it in his relationship with the Romans. I mean, Peter is kind of he's has the spotlight in the chosen in terms of the animosity toward Romans. And it might even be part of his violent streak that he says, "Okay, we're, ultimately we're going to beat these guys, right? We're going to defeat the Romans, and and that's part of what it means to be Messiah. And I'm going to follow you in that, and I'll go to the ends of the earth with you." And that's when Jesus says, "Yeah, we'll see." Uh, but yeah, th- he that impulse of control is also an uh, uh, almost a violent one, right? Because Peter's the one who takes the sword out and cuts off Malchus' ear in the Garden of Gethsemane. So we see him, the Chosen is is giving us this picture of Peter that I think is very consistent with the biblical story of of a person who wants to even violently protect Jesus as if Jesus needed that.
3: Yeah, and that that, uh, animosity towards the Romans really comes out in taxes as well. He really doesn't like the fact that Matthew is one of them, is a Jew that has decided to work for the Roman government. And I think in one scene, I don't remember exactly which one it is, they get into a heated argument and he basically just tells Matthew that it's his fault, that um, his taxes... uh, Somebody posted a picture that said, was Matthew the tax collector for Peter and Andrew, based on where they lived in Capernaum, right? And, you know, the Bible doesn't tell us, but John Mark, from your archaeology and New Testament studies, I mean, they're all from Capernaum, right? And if he was the tax collector, there's a high probability he could have been the tax collector for them. And maybe that's another reason Peter really doesn't like Matthew, um, once Jesus calls him at the end of season one
2: well that's that's certainly possible i mean there are probably a number of tax collectors in Capernaum, not just one but we don't really know well we really don't know but for the storytelling of the chosen to have that backstory between matthew and peter pays dividends in the telling of the story because uh, we can imagine what that what that relationship was possibly like Because we know what it's like to be with people that we've recently reconciled with or, you know, we really have some uh, problem with. And now they're in our community or they're in our small group. And, oh, how are we going to deal with that? You know, and that's what we see. So, I mean, take us to that scene, if you would, of Matthew and Peter and Jesus calling Matthew and how Peter reacts to that.
0: Yeah, so they're walking, they're back in Capernaum, walking through the streets, and there's Matthew in his booth, and Jesus stops, turns around, looks at Matthew and says, follow me, and Matthew leaves the booth, and there's an interaction there with his uh, guard, telling him, why are you leaving? You have everything, you have all the money you need, and he gives him the key and and just follows Jesus, And, and during that scene, there's Peter talking to Jesus, whispering to his ear, do you know who that is? Are you serious? We can be questioning that. And sometimes we are Matthew on the other end, being the ones being called into
2: the kingdom. Well, that's such a good point, David. I I really appreciate that. To think about, okay, who am I in this story? Which is part of the Part of the joy of watching Chosen is is to say, okay, who am I in this story? Who would I be like? Would I be like Peter saying, Jesus, you don't know this guy. You don't know what this guy's done. He's talking to Jesus, you know, who Jesus knew what Peter had done. And Peter, Peter is so blinded by his hatred of the Romans and his hatred of taxation from the Romans and the oppression of the Romans, which we could understand, you know, being an oppressed people. Those who are oppressed can un, you can understand the kind of hatred that they would have, but he's so blinded by that that he that he can't compare himself to Matthew. When in fact, where we began in this uh, podcast is Peter began with, "I'm unworthy," you know, "I'm a sinner. I don't I don't deserve to be in your presence." And now he's taking up the role of saying, "Hey, Matthew doesn't deserve this." <laughs> it's like the elder brother, you know. It's, When when the prodigal comes home, the older brother says, ah, we can't do this. This this is not good, you know. I see that in that kind of relationship between Peter and Matthew.
1: I do as well. And how many times do we question what God does in our lives? And how many times do we not understand things? Like, I, I feel like Peter in that moment was very raw. Like, why in the world would you choose Matthew to follow you? Like, look at what he's done. Look at where he's been. Look at what he does for a living. Mm. And we can't question God's will. And I believe that every single one of these disciples were chosen for unique reasons. Um, I'm really excited for our discussion uh, in our next episode about Matthew because we will, you know, talk about his personality, his uniqueness. And uh, Matthew actually has been um speculated to be on the autistic spectrum. Um, and and displayed that way in this series. And so it's so unique how um, they could have used Matthew in this way just to show how God uses each of us uniquely. Um, And and just remember that, like you said, John Mark, we might not all understand or like each other in in our faith or in our congregation, small groups, but um, we're not in charge. We're not in control of determining God's will, and God can use us all together for his unique purpose. So I hope that In upcoming episodes, we'll see that Peter and Matthew um, can come together and see that they do have a lot in common with following Jesus and doing his will and um, can get along a little bit better.
2: Yeah, that's very helpful, Haley. I think that's true. And and Stan, let me bring you in here as we conclude. Remember what, what Peter said to Jesus when Jesus was saying, you know, I know him. I know Matthew. And I knew you, too, you know when I called you and then Peter says, but this is different. <laughs> it's always true with those. This is different. I, it's not like that. I'm just like this. This is different. And Stan, take us out with what Jesus said. So, yeah, Jesus
3: says, get used to different. And that becomes a tagline. I even have one of the t-shirts that says that. Um, and I think Really, to to John Mark's points and and David's and Haley's, just um, the small groups or the congregations or whatever, it seems like the differences that everybody has, and yet the unity that people have the opportunity and the invitation to have in Christ, we see in the disciples. And we'll see it as the chosen continues to unfold. And next time when we talk about Matthew, it really kind of heightens um, without foreshadowing that too much just that there's a bunch of different people here there's a bunch of different personalities and to john mark's point once you have the love of jesus and you feel like you're in good good standing it's really unfortunate how the human uh, tendency is to look at others and then immediately say why they're disqualified so i love that statement by jesus get used to different we're doing things differently it's not what you guys think it's going to be It's not this violent kingdom that's gonna overthrow the Romans. We're gonna overthrow them, but we're gonna do it in a loving, peaceful way. And they don't yet understand that.
2: Well, it's been a good conversation. Grateful for everyone, Haley, David, Stan. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with us all, amen.